It's episode 33 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky, and joining me today are both Ryan Top and J.P. Breen. Hey, just a reminder, we have our uh, prop bet contest going on right now. Yep. Ryan, you're excited. Yeah, you I'm, like that. I'm you pumped. enjoyed it. I, I did enjoy it. And it we was have, fantastic. And we have some fun uh, Carbon 4 uh, prizes to give away. So if anybody wants to enter, go to our Twitter bio or Twitter page. It's mm-hmm. the uh, pinned tweet there. That's probably the easiest way to find it. Yeah, it's also up on Patreon. It's up on Patreon. It's up on Disciples of Euchre. It's in a post. and Should be on Facebook as well, right? Yeah. So, you know, if you find us anywhere like that, you should be able to find the link. But the Twitter one is pinned to the top. So just go there, click on that link, and you'll be able to just enter right away. It's a, it's a name and a Twitter handle if you want. And so far, we're at, I think, about 80 entries. So we're humming right along. I would imagine, well. yeah, people are just kind of waiting to see what the roster shakes out to be before yeah. they make those final decisions, right? Hey. Because it's it's an exact science. Yes, for the for the football one, I waited until the very last second to enter, which was a point of yeah. J- JP, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Andy, you know, um, he sent a timestamp on uh, the final entries for the the buck around their prop bet episode. Guess who yeah. the last person was. Not me. Well, it was no, Ryan, it was Ryan and Travis. It was Ryan and Travis. R- you were within like a couple minutes. Travis was literally like that less than a minute left before the the game started. I well, because I pestered him and I said, "Hey, you need to do this before the season starts," and he was like grumbling about it. And I said, "No, you need to do this," and so he did it right before the the final battle. It was. It was like it had to be in before ten o'clock, and it was like nine fifty nine or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he was just in under the gun. And that wasn't hit. Mine was a matter of waiting. I did wait. He just like it happened to be us getting together for the game and me saying, you need to do this before the game starts. So you can wait, but we encourage you to just do it right away so you don't forget about it. So you don't forget about it and so that your answers are maybe as hilarious as ours will probably be. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Um, Also, uh, we have an interview with Zach Koga coming up from uh, Carbon 4 Brewery. He's one of the uh, owners there. Um, so stick around for that and, uh, you can find out some more about carbon four before opening day and make your beer decisions. Right. And the beers that they have coming out. Yeah. So we talked about some of their upcoming releases, which we are sampling one right now. We are sampling one that has just come out. Yes. He was kind enough to leave us a couple growlers of the, uh, double fantasy factory IPA. It's fantastic. It is. It's enjoyable. So um, you can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash MKE Tailgate. Our ball and glove patrons will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast, and that's going to be coming up pretty soon. A couple weeks, yep. Yep. So, uh, yeah, become a patron, and then you'll probably get that right after opening day sometime. In that week, yeah. Yep. Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing. From Dragon Flute to Block Party to Fantasy Factory IPA, K4 specializes in English-style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. Now available is the Martian Sunrise Red IPA, and we have Zach Koga. He's one of the owners of Carbon 4 here to tell us a little bit about that. Hi, everyone. Yeah, Martian Sunrise available throughout the state on store shelves and on draft. Uh, It's a really nice red IPA, um, great for springtime, features the mosaic hop profile and and real nice balanced malt base. So how many growlers can I get filled at a time? As many as you want. (laughs) Ryan, you got yours along? Uh, I forgot mine, Steve. 
Do, I, I wish I had mine with me. Wait, do you guys sell growlers there? Absolutely. We sell the full-size 64-ounce growler and the half growler howler 32-ounce. So if you are not, if you don't want to commit to four pints, you can get a smaller one, 32 ounces. Committing to four pints isn't a problem for me. Yeah. That's fine. I'm, I'm <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so everybody head over to uh, the Carbon 4 Tap Room on Kinsman Boulevard on Madison's East Side, or you can check out Carbon4.com. Carbon 4, beer brilliance. Milwaukee's Tailgate is also sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast, check out the MixPre 3 and MixPre 6. For more information, visit sounddevices.com. Um, yesterday, Adam McKelvey, or yesterday, I'm talking about Saturday, uh, Adam McKelvey... Well, hey, you know, we, we talk about it in, in real time, but obviously people listen to podcasts at various times. Um, but they kind of released pretty close to what the final roster is going to be for opening day. Um, Pina and Bandy, Thames at first base, VR and Sogard, Shaw, Arcia, Braun, Kane, Santana, Yelich, Perez. Um, Phillips got sent down. Broxton got sent down for the position players. Yeah, did you see the little back and forth with Brett Phillips? Somebody was like, you should be angry about this. And he's like, no, I'm not angry about this on I'm, Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. JP, I mean, do the how many of these guys, they have an understanding of why they get sent down, don't they? I mean, you know, Phillips, it wasn't a, Phillips and Broxton. It wasn't a matter of like talent. They're just the guys with options. Right. Which is why it's frustrating for some players. Right. I mean, you're told that. I mean, yeah, I I, under, I understand the point, and I understand that it's logical to send some pl some players down. But Broxton, for example, was not happy about it, and actually didn't want to talk to any reporters about being sent down because, in his mind, there's nothing. I mean, and I agree with him. There's nothing more for him to learn in AAA, and there's really. But they if, if, they if also weren't being, sent down to learn anything. It clearly no, wasn't right. the intention. Absolutely. But if you're being told that, you know, for people like Miley and, and kind of competing for spots for the rotation, even even Choi, in terms of trying to make the last spot here, everybody is talking about how spring training, you have an opportunity to go and make the team. Um, and so it is frustrating for players like Broxton or Phillips or whomever when uh, it turns out that you're not actually competing for anything. You're just you're somebody that is more or less expendable or to be able to kick the can down the road. And um, even though it's, it's logical, it makes sense for the organization. Some people might even argue that it was the exact right thing to do for some players. They are very frustrated about it because there's nothing they, they can do. And so it, it can rub some people the wrong way in a very explainable way, I think. Yeah. And it's worth mentioning too. We're talking about thousands of dollars per day difference in terms of what money they're making when you're on the major league roster, you know, you start looking at what the difference is and you prorate it down. You're talking about for every day a guy is on the major league roster, he is making three, four, five thousand dollars. Like you, and you do not get that kind of pay in the minor leagues. So for guys who are just kind of breaking in and are, you know, this is real concern. This is actual real money and it makes a big difference to them whether or not they're, they're pulling in that kind of money or not. I, I mean, it will be interesting. Who do we think is going to be the first guy up? Because I, I think we're all expecting at some point there's going to be, you know, an injury or some kind of need in the outfield um, since Kane's the only true center fielder. Yelich will, sp will spell there, but you wouldn't yeah, he'll expect spell if there, Kane but goes if, on the if, disabled if list. If something happens, yeah. If Kane's on the disabled list or something like that, who do you think is the first guy up? Do, do you think they like Broxton or Phillips better? 
I would guess Broxton. I would think that he would be the guy that would come up to play on a regular basis uh, in center field. If it was, if Kane is the one who's on the DL. Now, if it's one of the other positions, it's more likely to be Phillips, but yeah, that would J- be my guess. JP, you kind of have the same view or? I... No, I think actually it's much more likely that they bring Phillips up. Um, I think Phillips having another left-hander and being able to have somebody who's actually a better defender in, in center field than Broxton, um, I think is something that would kind of tip the scales a little bit. And I to, to go back to the idea of money too, it's not just about how many days they're spending down in the minors. There's legitimate risk where Broxton, you know, tears an ACL and two weeks in, he's not on the major league DL. He's not making that major league paycheck. He's down in the minors and there's no reason for them to bring him up to the majors to put him on the DL or something weird like that. Like there are legitimate injury concerns that can stick you down there for a long time. And Broxton also knows or, or Phillips knows that if there's only one spot, they might not be the person called up for whatever reason, if it's defensive ability, whether it's, you know, they want a right hander for a couple of days rather than a lefty. Um, they could just stay down. The other person could go up into the big leagues and absolutely play their way into staying up there. And they're kind of stuck in AAA again. So there's a lot of things to be worried about. And I know that, you know, fans are much more worried about like roster optim- optimization rather than understanding the human side of the game or, you know, the personal finance ga- side of the game for people that are being sent down to the minors. But it's completely understandable that somebody like Broxton is is really upset and doesn't necessarily understand it to the extent that fans want uh, these players to to understand it. And I, I do think it's fair to say, though, that both Broxton and Phillips do figure to get substantial time in the big leagues this year, whether or not that's on the Brewers, who knows? I mean, they could potentially be part of trades, too. But they both figure to get substantial well, yeah, but, time. At but some when you point say they can season. be a part of trades, I mean you're saying, "Hey, wait until the end of July." That's a long wait. I mean, trades. The trade season really does get going more in early June now, but they it's, it's still, at least a couple months away. It's probably. still unlikely. They're they're likely with no injuries. They're going to end up spending at least a couple months down in the and minors. It's not, now it'll be interesting to see how that rotation works. Yeah. Um, if Braun takes to first base and he's playing more innings there and then they, you know, have more of a need for an extra outfielder, we don't know um, because we still have uh, Jesus Aguiar and uh, Choi is also, um, according to Adam McKelvey, still alive for probably one position player spot. Yes. So kind of. Well, at least for now, we think. For now. Yeah, because we think more likely than not for most of the season, they'll run with eight in the bullpen. So total of 13 pitchers, which to start the season, because Brandon Woodruff is not going to pitch out of the rotation until um, a week into the season against the Cubs when they're back home because of the the off day that they have on Sunday, that first Sunday. So we think Woodruff will, he is obviously available out of the bullpen in San Diego. So whether or not, you know, at some point they're probably going to need to cut another uh, position player to get to their eight-man bullpen, which is, I think, what they want. So we may be looking at a situation where, you know, whoever makes the team between Aguilar and Choi, it's probably going to be Aguilar. Um, whoever makes the team out of those guys is probably unlikely to be with the team super long once they they decide. Somebody, some position player is going to end up getting well, again, out, depending probably. Well, depending on how comfortable they are with Braun. Depending on how comfortable they are with Braun at first base, depending on how comfortable... And Braun, Braun is making the opening day start at first base. 
he yeah. is going to start opening day at first base. Yes. So there has, I mean, JP, do we think there's at least, he's shown enough competence to the front office that they feel like this is a legit thing, or are they just kind of saying, we're going to roll with it because this is what our roster is right now? Yeah, I think there just hasn't necessarily been enough time to, to find out if he is going to be comfortable there. Um, so I think that's just something they're going to roll with until they get to a point in whether or not they see if it works or not. I mean, by all accounts, it sounds like he is actually starting to, to bet in a little bit. Um, he's starting to feel feel better there. Um, well, I don't know if he's feeling better there, but some people have suggested he looks better there. Hey, just um, catch the ball, right? Right. Yeah. A, just stand just at first base, it. put your foot on it and catch it, right? It's that's incredibly like, easy. You know, I have seen guys in like bar league softball who can't figure out that they need to get back to the bag. So no matter how easy it is, <laughs> no matter how much we watch it and think that's easy enough, you know, you see some like 50 year old guy out there that can't figure out first base and you got to wonder sometimes. Well, and I do think it is. It's worth noting that I think one of the most interesting things that I've seen in terms of roster construction between Jesus Aguilar and Jimen Choi is they've been experimenting with Choi in left field. And if Choi can play left field, that is a better scenario for them to keep somebody rather than somebody like Aguilar, who can only play first base and isn't even a plus defender at first base. And it could be an argument that if Choi can play multiple positions, that there is potentially a longer term option for him on the roster. I don't necessarily know how much that'll take into consideration. I understand Choi's not great in left field. Choi's been hitting the stuffing out of the ball in the spring. He's got 10, 10 walks to two strikeouts. Um, you know, there's a lot of things for, and, and again, while spring training stats don't necessarily matter. If you are offering minor league deals to players and giving them invitations to camp, you need to have the the reputation as an organization that that's a worthwhile proposition for minor league players or for players to take that kind of deal. If you take that kind of deal and you say, yeah, no matter how you did, we were always going with Aguilar because he was on the team last year. The next time somebody, you know, Stearns goes to somebody with a minor league option and say, we're going to give you uh, the opportunity to play into a big league roster spot in spring. You don't want to be like, you know, a team like the Mets, for example, that have a pretty big reputation for not actually giving people an opportunity to do those sorts of things. So Except for Tim Tebow. Well, Tim Tebow is not necessarily... <laughs> Talk about uh, Jersey sold, yes. <laughs> let's say he's not necessarily coming in as a veteran on a minor league deal. <laughs> um, you know, one of the, the common questions we tend to get is our, our thoughts on Jesus Aguilar. And, uh, you know... We've talked about it before. Aguilar had some big moments. Um, he also had a hotter start that kind of inflated what his numbers are. But How's, his his hot start is not held against him the way Thames's hot start was held against him, which is it's well, back quarterback syndrome in a way. Well, exactly. I mean, if you're a starter and you have a hot start and then you fade, so people see a lot of at bats. That's different than you know you kind of get some spot starts, you increase a little bit, and you're still you know hitting well, and then that fade just seems to take a lot longer because you're not getting the at bats. Right. It's but, the exact same thing that happened with with Gene Segura because it's not just about starting out hot and then kind of tailing off it's about the promises that are are made about a player's long-term ability for people like 
Segura for people like Thames and people saying this is who this guy can be. And then it's when they don't live up to those expectations, people, you know, you've got a lot of people who come in and be like, no, there's no way that they can live up to this. And then when they decline, everybody points at them and says, see, I told you that all, all of you were overreacting. And then people get a whole lot of pleasure out of that. And then there are other people that actually go in and say, no, I actually thought this person was good. And then when they actually start to decline, there's this sense of, I don't know if it's betrayal, but it's a really emotional response that people get really mad about. Um, and I don't think you get that from like backup first baseman like Aguilar, where there's just not like this overcoming promise in which everybody was talking about Thames in April is like this next big thing at first base. Um, Aguilar just kind of quietly had a really strong start and some spot starts and then quietly faded away down the stretch when he got some spot starts. I mean, what did help, though, was uh, Travis Shaw then caught fire for a little while. And he was the next hot thing that they had for the next few months after after Thames's big April. So, yes. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't think people were exactly angry with Thames the way you're portraying it. Oh, I I do. Do yeah, you really? Yeah, there's yeah. a lot. I don't of think there was. There's anger. a lot of anger directed I, towards okay. Thames on Twitter. There is. Oh, okay. So this is all online anger. Well, yeah. <laughs> people are mad online, Steve. People like, do get mad of, online. Just remember, what when other you kind get... of anger would we be aware yeah. of? It's not like we're listening to call-in shows. Are, <laughs> they're probably Russian bots who are just trying to get everybody <laughs> riled up. So, um, okay. Uh, starting rotation: Anderson, Shasin, uh, Davies were all, you know written in ink before. Oh, I like that you put Davies down in the four spot because he's starting the season at four, the way this is written. Steve is a professional. I actually, I did it in order because Davies, and you know, that's not crazy that they push back one of the known starters basically to start opening day at Miller Park. No, that's, of course. That's a thing teams do. Yeah, you do that just, you know. I'm just saying that I'm surprised that you don't understand how professional Steve is in which he was able to do that. Exactly. <laughs> for everybody's benefit. So that means Brent Suter is going to start the third game in San Diego. Yes, which it seemed to have been trending that way for a long time. And that seemed, it, it's perfectly, perfectly good. I mean, that's. It's a perfectly a cromulent answer. It's a, it's a perfectly cromulent solution to the problem. Yes. <laughs> um, whether or not Suter, you know, we'll have to see over, you know, as Suter starts to see teams again and again and again how well that holds but there's at least some evidence to suggest that you know, maybe he can be a, a serviceable back-end big league starter so i, I mean he, he's shown some success uh do, jp do you think they're gonna manage his innings a little bit is he gonna be the short starter of the group i don't know about early uh or as the year progresses but i would imagine that they don't want him to pitch too deep into games because even when he was having success last year he had the tendency to blow up in the sixth inning and beyond. And you're going to have somebody like Brandon Woodruff in the bullpen to be able to come in and take a couple of innings, even if they only want him to go four innings. Well, hold on. Like He's going to be in the bullpen for a couple of innings for the first game, basically for Suter. Yeah, absolutely. That's what that, I, oh, I'm just saying. Uh, that's I, that, that's not beyond the first. Either, yeah. Like long term, like for the next two months, is he going to be a short start or for or the like, or for the next 10 days? Well, yeah, sure. but yes, I, I believe long term. Is he going to be the kind of the guy in the, the bullpen that he goes out for maybe five innings ish? Yeah, I mean, it'll probably depend on his first few starts, but I think that that is probably the best way to use him. And I think that last year's experience also was able to show that you don't want him necessarily going past five innings or so. Yeah. Um, so I think that's probably the best, whether or not that means Hater follows him up because you you know you've got a lefty and then a lefty or or 
I don't necessarily know how they're going to want to do those sorts of things, but I would imagine that they've got something in place in which Suter, if possible, meaning if the bullpen is not too tired, they'll try to pull him uh, a little bit more quickly than some other guys. But I mean, also, even though, I mean, do we think Suter is number four and Woodruff is number five in this scenario? Is that how it's working? Or did they kind of push? I don't Woodruff, think it matters. Did they push Woodruff back a little bit because he had a, a shaky start? They're going to kind of break him into the season a little bit because it's his spring training started out rough. His Yeah, the spring training did start off a little bit rough in terms of results. What that actually means, who knows? But it did start off a little bit rough. I think the point more you're talking about with Suter where he is – yeah, the first time he saw batters last year, they hit for uh, they hit for a 464 OPS against him. Second time, 782. Third time, 1.085. So I mean, he definitely oh, and an 85 and an 85. Yeah, I mean, so basically <laughs> the, the, the 1000 OPS wasn't enough. It was 1000. The first time he sees guys, they're basically like good hitting pitchers against him. The third time they see him, they're all basically prime Albert Pujols. So it's, you know, you're you're looking at you're you're underselling Prime Elber Pujols a little bit with that. a but little yes. bit yes but no that that's true um, yeah. so yeah I think Suter is going to be a guy that they definitely try to not push much past that second time through the order and you know especially if we see I, they'll give him chances to do it I'm sure but you're not going to see it done on a regular basis unless he's really showing that he's taken a, a step forward. How so. many teams even have a, I'm going to call Suter a fifth starter, but we can say Suter and Woodruff are both fifth sure. starters at, at this, this point. point. They are. Um, how many teams even have fifth starters that you can say they're going to go six innings a start? In 2018? Yeah. No one. I mean, the Indians maybe because the Indians have like a bunch of guys who are they have like, <laughs> you know, but there are so few pitchers across the entire league that'll average six innings to start. Exactly. Right. That yeah. It's just not the game anymore. Yeah. Like, even, so, I mean, when people see Suter going out there for a limited number of innings, it's not anything to get wound up about. No, that's no. that's the way to manage him properly. That's the the good way to handle him. I was going to say, I think my reaction to the question of whether or not Suter or Woodruff is the fifth starter is a little bit like, are, are you functionally asking, like, who could potentially be the first one out of the rotation if they need to add somebody or I was just calling them. Or... I was just calling them like, you know, how people like to if the Brewers don't have a, a quote unquote ace. You know what I mean? Like we're using yeah. the definition of ace. Yeah. Both Suter and Woodruff are, are fifth starters. It's not, you know. We could list them off as Anderson, you know, Davies, Chassin, you know, Suter, Woodruff is one, two, three, four, five. But it's yeah. kind of more like Anderson could be a two. You have a couple threes or a three, four, and then a couple of fives in the rotation. Yeah, I do think that the Brewers are more committed to Woodruff in the starting rotation long term than Suter, though. So you think Woodruff has a longer leash? Yes, I would. I think that Suter is, and I think that he, I agree with this. I think he is. Uh, a swing a swing guy like he was last year I think that's the way that the Brewers want to use him um, I think if if somehow miraculously there are no injuries and everybody pitches well enough that they actually are forced to make a decision for who is removed from the rotation when Jimmy Nelson comes back I think it's Suter over Woodruff mm -hmm. um, yeah and then we have uh, Junior Guerra is in AAA right now he was one of the guys sent down so and he I seems like their sixth starter at the moment He's, He's kind of waiting in the wings. Yeah. 
I mean, Junior Guerra is going to get starts this season. I would imagine he's going to get his chances in the big leagues unless he gets hurt, which Junior Guerra gets hurt. So that does happen. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. Um, And then uh, Wade Miley is still with the organization. They, JP, you describe it. Uh, So they had an opportunity to pay a, a, I believe it was a $100,000 retention if he was not on the big league roster. Um, Miley had the ability to, to choose to stay, but I believe it was a functionally a $100,000, uh, agreement to continue on the, on the minor league roster. Um, and so he is going to continue his rehab in the minor leagues. He is not on the, on the DL. He's not on the major league roster. He is in the minors, but, uh, the idea is he will continue his rehab there and then move forward with, uh, rehab starts going and doing all of that. <laughs> Ryan, you doing okay? I'm fine. You got the sniffles. Yeah, it's spring allergies, we're going to call them. <sighs> it's annoying. <laughs> okay, uh, moving on to the bullpen. Uh, we have everybody expected, Knable, Hader, Elbers, Barnes, Jeffress. Uh, Boone Logan's going to start the season on the DL. Looks like for about a month, yeah. Um, so it looks like uh, Drake, Oliver Drake, uh, J.J. Hoover, and... Um, Taylor Williams are all in the running for two spots. You would think, yeah. That's what it looks like at this point. And my my hope would be that it would be Drake and uh, Williams. That's where I would root. But they may decide to keep Hoover and to send Williams down because they can. Okay, does so Hoover have can... options? No, Hoover no. is a big league veteran. and That's Okay. Yeah, Hoover would have to accept a, a, a assignment to the minor leagues. William, and... But Williams they could send down. Williams, they can send down freely, and Drake, I believe, is out of options as well. Okay. So I think Drake, I think Drake and Hoover are the ones that that I mean, cannot J- be sent JP, down. is this a, a case where options are going to be a deciding factor for these guys? Maybe uh, I wouldn't have thought so with the the outfield, and that turned out to be one of the major factors in terms of roster building was was using options and keeping as many players as possible so it could be i think if it's trying to optimize the talent in the bullpen i think you go hoover and williams i think there is a shot that they could keep oliver drake because with boone logan being on the dl they might want somebody else that can handle lefties so they don't have to use hater as a situational lefty which means they could keep drake because his splitter works so well against lefties but i I don't – he's not somebody that I would want in my ideal bullpen with the, the, uh, with the guys available. Uh, I think Williams is somebody that they should have in the bullpen, especially early in the year where they're, they're potentially scrambling for some innings or still trying to figure out what guys in the starting rotation are going to look like, um, whether or not Anderson's going to be the guy they thought, whether or not Chassin's going to be able to – to come in and, and settle in and be the guy he was last year with the Padres. There's so many question marks. I think you really want talent in in uh, in the bullpen. I don't think you want to worry about trying to skate by for a couple of months, trying to hold on to some options. So for me, Hoover and Williams, uh, but I could see an argument for Drake because of the lefty thing. I mean, and also you have the issue where you're just trying to cover innings. So you need as many arms as possible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're, Williams, if he's the odd man out because he has options, is not going to be down in the minors for that long. There's going to be a need for covering innings because you get a gas bullpen at some point. Right, and it these things are so flexible, especially nowadays. Teams are going to juggle 
guys up and down so much that the first 10 relievers should all expect to see. Let's hope he doesn't have a dog, right? <laughs> no, no dogs in Flying United. Wow, that got dark quickly. No, I'd well, like to, I would like to distance myself from that comment <laughs> legally. legally. There is Thank there you. is nothing incorrect about that. United put a dog in the overhead carrying pin, and it didn't make it through a flight. I I'm just everyone, stating a fact. I think, I think everyone knows that. I would still like to distance myself <laughs> from that comment. Okay, moving on. JP is not going to be named in this lawsuit. So yes, anyways, uh, they're going to taxi guys back and forth basically to fill. It's 2018. Names. This is yeah. what it, where it is normal now. I mean, hell, it was normal 10 years ago to a certain extent. It's just even more normal now that you know teams are going to shuffle through tons of pitchers, especially you know even on the position player side, teams shuffle through tons of players now, and it's you know and especially a team like the Brewers who has great depth. You're going to take advantage of that depth by shuffling through, and you know. Well, they showed it by sending Broxton and Phillips down, right? And but they'll be up; they will come back up. We will see them. They're not gone forever. This is not, you know, the last the last stand of all these players. It's you know, there's nothing final about opening day rosters, which is the most dumb and obvious point ever. But it's true. Like it does. Nothing- well, every year, I think everybody's just ready for the season to start. Yes, because and there's this idea so much- like let's see a final roster. This is what your team is. And let's not worry about what's going to happen in July because we're just ready for... Usually it's April, but this year it's March, what, 28th? Yes. So um, it's glorious. It's glorious. It is. We're excited for it, even though this is a rare year where they're uh, opening not at Miller Park. Well, and that's because of the way the schedule shaked out, like the way that this was set up. They did that intentionally. And so the Brewers could still start on a Monday because they're never... (laughs) <laughs> they're never again going to do an opening day on like a Friday. You can't do- remember what a mess that was. Yeah. Steve? They had to bring in Dolan. Uh, Bishop Dolan was still here in Milwaukee and he had to like give all the Catholics the ability to eat meat on a Friday for opening. Well, day. That wasn't, that wasn't what I was thinking, but well, yeah, yes. I mean, and it can just be a little bit, I mean, we've, too yeah, much we've, of a party. we've seen some things. <laughs> You've had yeah. some things spilled upon you. Yeah, God, how many years ago was that? JP, you've, you know, the story we're talking about, right? I, I have heard this story. Okay, yeah. I so I, I encourage everybody to drink in, in moderation. moderation. <laughs> uh, I was there, uh, how many years ago was that? It was like 2008, 2009, yeah. something like that. Something like that. I think it was after they had made the playoffs. They yeah, broke it, the it might have been 2009. But it wasn't long after. It was about 2009. We're sitting in our seats. Some guy behind us had had a lot of Jack and Cokes. And this was a one and, o'clock start. And I know it was Jack and Coke. because it ended up all over my back i'm that guy is still i still say he is extremely fortunate that he threw up on you and mark uh who are sitting there no it was was my friend jeff jeff it was jeff oh okay it was it was extremely fortunate instead of being your wife yes because she may have actually murdered him yes oh no his life would have definitely been in in, like that would have been that would have been it it would have been he would have been done so yeah don't be that because we also saw you know somebody getting hauled down and they have like instead of a a full gurney it's kind of like a seated gurney to get you downstairs well, I'm we, just saying these are all the things that you see on opening day and you don't see it again the rest of the season. No, and do you remember the time we were sitting way out in the outfield on opening day? And so we went to the bathroom and we saw they had cases of Miller Lite bottles stacked up and like just sitting there. And we were like, man, somebody could just grab one of these and walk away with it. Five minutes later, we're sitting back in our seats 
and we see some guy with a case under his arm heading back to the seats. And we're like, oh, God. And he's handing out bottles to everybody <laughs> in the section, just cases of, uh, of bottles of Miller Lite. And, uh, yeah, the, the sheriff's caught up with him about two minutes later, and he went out in cuffs. And the bottle stayed there. The case stayed there. And it sat there for a little while. And then a person who'd been sitting near it was just like, well, it's sitting here. So they started handing it out to everybody. <laughs> it's Wisconsin. You're not going to let that go to waste. <laughs> no. So, yeah, that was that's one of my favorite opening day yeah, stories. So basically, don't enjoy yourself. Don't be an asshole on opening day. That's uh, our, our advice to everyone there. So, hey, we have expectations for 2018, right? We do. Okay. So uh, last season, the Brewers hit 249, 322, 429, and that was kind of in the middle of the pack for uh, team offenses in Major League Baseball. We have a, a bit of a, a change in offense this year with both the Kane signing and Yelich signings, and then obviously there's going to be some managing Thames at first base with Braun, you know, figuring out ways to get Domingo Santana in. You have Orlando Arcia hopefully making some progress. Um, I guess... Starting off, what are our expectations for the team offense this year? What do we expect from this lineup? I'm expecting them to be in the top. And like I said, this this was a very middle-of-the-pack offense. Yeah, I think they're, they're top half of the NL, I think, fairly certainly for offense. I think, you know, whether or not they become a breakout team and a really good team, if they can get into that top five, if they can start – playing with some of the big boys like the Cubs, the Nationals, you know, the Dodgers, some of those teams. Borderline top five seems like, you know, something of a, especially when you're dealing with like the Rockies who are going to put up like big offensive numbers just because of the park. And who knows what the Diamondbacks with the, them being a humidor team now. But yeah, I mean, if they can, you know, sneak into the back of the top five of the NL, you know, they're probably a pretty legitimate club as long as the pitching doesn't completely go to crap. So, yeah, JP, I mean, again, they've had some changes. So, so what are going to be the differences that we see in the offense this year as far as you know, like I said, here's overall where they finished was kind of in the middle. Could they be a middling team but in a different way this season? Yeah, absolutely. I think last year you saw especially down the stretch, the pitching carried the team. And it the it was the offense that struggled. Um, it was the offense that really frustrated a lot of people. Um, but you know, you're right. They were they were ninth in the NL last year in terms of uh, in, t- in terms of uh, WRC plus in terms of weighted runs created. Um, and so they were pretty much in the middle of the pack. I think they'll be better this year in terms of offense, not only just because of depth that we've talked about a lot, but in terms of the fact that Kane and Yelich are are better that frankly than anybody that they had in the outfield last year. Yeah. Those are a couple guys. They're, they're pretty quick and they get on base a lot more than That's the guys they used to have. So uh, how is that going to affect everything we kind of saw versus last season? I think you're going to, the, the, the interesting thing about the Brewers this year is not only do they have more of relative quote unquote certainty in terms of high end performers like Yelich, like, like Kane, like, uh, like Braun, but they've still got guys who could t- potentially break out. And I know that people don't want to hear it, but Jonathan VR is, is still the guy that was in 2016. Like that talent is still in there. Um, he actually has had a pretty nice spring too, which has been nice to see whether or not that's able to carry over is, you know, something we'll be able to see. But um, 
that's been pleasant to see. Orlando Arcia is somebody that could still continue to be a guy who takes a step forward. Uh, Travis Shaw, if he's the guy that he was last year, is still going to be able to to really anchor the the, the middle of the the lineup. Um, so they still have the ability to have some guys take a step forward, which is why they could potentially be a top five offense. Um, I'd still probably put them behind, you know, the Dodgers, Cubs, Nationals, Cardinals probably all have better offense. Uh, Cardinals, it depends. Um, I think that the Brewers are probably anywhere between number five and number seven in terms of weighted runs created, I think would be where I would put them. Um, so comfortably top half, if not nearing kind of the, the I don't know if you want to say class of the NL, but certainly top third. They're going to be a little more Seems fun to watch this season. I, think I don't think it'll be as frustrating. And the big thing, JP hit it, the on-base percentage. That was a thing they struggled with last year was getting guys on base. They hit for a lot of power, and they they did some good things offensively. Well, we've talked about like a Keon Broxton in center field who right. for two weeks would carry the team and then for the next month he'd be a huge liability where Lorenzo Kane he's a very professional hitter as far as he's not going to hit for a ton of power but the guy gets on base you know as well as is just a competent hitter yeah Kane yeah. and Yelich get on base that is probably the biggest thing they do and it was probably the biggest need the offense had was guys who could get on base mm-hmm. so in that way they sort of perfectly fit what the team needed and like JP said if you could get a bounce back to 2016 form from Jonathan VR, now you're talking about a really deep lineup. That could be, that could be the key to a like a really great lineup to watch. Like a year. really a really deep lineup. I think that's how you can that's how you can start saying that they can at least compete with. Now they probably won't be better than, but they can compete with teams like the Cubs and Dodgers and Nationals, where you don't feel like you're completely outclassed yeah, offensively. We, we don't want to say it's going to happen, but you could start dreaming on a, an Arcia, you know, breakout and a VR bounce back, and then you have a middle, uh, you know, middle of your defensive spectrum that can hit pretty well. That would be fun to watch as well. Absolutely. If you, yes. get, if you get a relatively healthy brawn, and by a healthy brawn, I mean 500, 550 plate appearances, um oh god that'd be fantastic if he gets 600 plate appearances stellar like if that's what playing first base gets then i'm on board with that 100 percent um but if they can if, if domingo santana is the guy he was last year if they're able to get braun uh regular starts at first base if they're able to have kane and yelich stay healthy um if Arcia shows kind of the, what he he flashed in the middle of last year, and like, they still have they Phillips, have the ingredients, and they still Absolutely. have Phillips who could come up and be a very good player in center field. Absolutely, and they even even if Jonathan VR struggles at second base, you know they still have Mauricio Dubon who actually showed quite well in in spring as well, and you'll find scouts that still really like him to be a competent. Uh, you know, not necessarily somebody that you're going to want to rely on offensively, but somebody who can get on base and show some speed. Well, and I would hope if, if you see Arcia and Dubon in the middle of that infield, that's a pretty great defensive infield you have right there. That's absolutely, a really and that's good something that infield. that's something that I think is going to be one of the biggest changes for me with with Yel- with Yelich in left, with Kane in center, with they, they could potentially be a really really good defensive club, which is not something we've said about the Brewers. Goodness, I don't know, in a very long time. Well, they were sneaky uh-huh. good in 2011. 
they because they they took advantage of the shifting. They were kind of ahead of the game on that in 2011. Yeah, but I mean, in terms of defensive skill, but this is yeah, sure. this is just defensive, raw, raw yeah. skill. I mean, you know, and they had some stuff where you know JJ Hardy playing shortstop was pretty good. Yeah, well, to say I, mean, the least. Like, I mean, they they've they had, had they've had some center, yeah. When they, they had, had Hardy good. and Cameron, that was a pretty good defense. But Back like when Corey you, Hart was a competent right fielder, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's generous for me. But he um, was when he was younger because he had so much speed. He was a he was a pretty competent. Well, hold on. There was a I, moment I, where I people know. thought he had enough speed to be a competent defender, and then he started playing full time, and that kind of went away pretty quick. Yeah, there was a few I, I years. Two thousand seven, eight, nine. Okay, last thing. Anyway. About, last thing about position players and offense. We're going to move on to pitching. JP, do you want to add anything else? Well, I think it, one of the big things is going to be what ends up happening uh, for catcher too. Could be something that impacts how good how good the offense is. If Manny Pena is, you know, again, like we've been saying, the guy we saw last year, and that's one of the reasons why the Brewers have so many question marks coming in because there's so many breakouts that happened last year that we're not really sure if they're they're sustainable um if pina is the guy we saw last year and he compare with a lot of the other guys i mean they've they've got a lineup that doesn't have holes especially if you know thames is only facing righties and and things like that they've got a lot of really interesting pieces um which you can see exactly what they were doing with the offseason and why they thought kane and yelich made so much sense because they've got the They've got the pieces to be really fun in terms of offense and defense. And that's, you know, I think anything that's all we can ask for. There's there's a definite plan in terms of how they want the offense to be structured, how they want to play defense, the versatility. Um, and I also don't think it is that shocking that it matches what the Astros are doing. Yeah, um, it, it's the kind of players that the Astros love or the kind of guys that the Brewers are, are targeting. So we're we're all pretty excited, and we think this could be a fun offense to watch. But we're gonna do a bit of a we're gonna pick our our hitters we expect to regress here coming up. So we'll get a chance to shit on somebody uh, in short order, um, so we don't get we don't get too high before opening day starts. We want to remember that there's a little bit of pulling this back a little. How bit. very Steve of you. <laughs> hey, I'm just saying we don't want to get too high for opening day, and then all of a sudden you realize there's six months left in the season. So. Um, but okay, the pitching staff, uh, they had a four ERA. It was a, good for a one ten ERA plus, and they were about ninth in the, the major leagues, uh, as a pitching staff last season. So as JP pointed out earlier, that was the strength of the staff that, that carried them down, uh, the stretch. So Ryan, what are the expectations for the pitching staff this year? Obviously Jimmy Nelson is a question mark. Um, there's a lot of flexibility at the back end of the bullpen. We haven't even seen Shasin make a start. So yeah, the error bars on this are huge. I feel like because we just really don't know. I feel the the rotation seems deep in that they have a lot of guys that they can throw out there um, beyond the five that they're going to open the season with between Guerra, Miley, um, Wilkerson. You know, potentially even guys like Hauser, whatever down the line. There's a lot of options for people that could that could fill in but just how effective the top end guys are going to be compared with you know other top end guys of the the best nl teams i mean we're talking about trying to get up into competition with teams like the dodgers the cubs and the uh the nationals who are led by their staffs are led by you know max scherzer clayton kershaw and you darvish so you're talking about trying to compete with teams that have legitimate bona fide studs for the most part. And whether or not the Brewers actually have that 
we just don't know. So it's it's difficult, you know, from that perspective. They seem to have, with Josh Hader, with Corey Knabel, they seem to have really good, you know, frontline guys in the bullpen. But how deep the bullpen is is still an open question with Matt Albers, you know, potentially Jeremy Jeffress, Taylor Williams. We don't know who all is going to end up being the high leverage pitchers for this team yet beyond hopefully as long as they're healthy, Knable and, Al- and uh, Hader. So we just kind of have to wait and see how, how what that's going to end up looking like. But overall, the depth seems to be there that they should at least be competent. I think they're going to surprise some people in terms of not being terrible. I think there's this there's this feeling right now that they're they're bad or something. That because they didn't go out and add massive pieces in the offseason, that they're they're not good. They're probably not good or they're probably not bad. But they're, you know, how how great they're to actually going out? to be. <laughs> <laughs> how great they're actually going to be. Um you know, it, it's going to depend on the development of some young guys and how well players, you know, that are that we're looking at as depth right now step up and become good, solid major leaguers. Yeah. JP, did they miss out on a massive upgrade anywhere in the starting rotation? Because, you know, they didn't. Darvish was out of their range. They didn't want to match an area to offer, you know, or really get into that bidding war with the Phillies. Um, obviously, Lynn made his decision with the twins and then they didn't seem to really be in on Cobb at all. Did they miss out on trying to get on in a, get in on any of those guys or uh, were any of those guys even enough of an upgrade for them to make that investment? I think that Darvish, if that option would have been available, obviously that would, yeah. that would have been, an, that would have been the upgrade that the Bruce needed. Again, that one was more of a price range issue. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and Darvish, I think there are pretty big questions of whether or not Darvish would want to come to Milwaukee. Um, for, well, for if, they, if they wanted to give him $200 million, I bet you he would have come to Milwaukee. Yeah, I mean, probably, but he's out there. He was he was interviewing teams. He was looking for lifestyle. He was looking for a lot of things that, yes, I'm sure there was a certain amount of money that hey, could have. you know what? There have been times where I think Milwaukee has advertised itself as Chicago's northern suburbs. So obviously he, they could have done that and probably wouldn't have been that far off in getting Darvish. <laughs> I, I'm not going to. I'm not <laughs> you're not going to just. You're not going to justify that. <laughs> no, I'm going to. I'm going to. I am. You, I am not. You, I'm gonna I am not the one who came up with that ad campaign that everybody panned, but it has happened. Sure. I think if I do not think any anybody like Lynn Cobb or uh, or Arietta was the guy that would have made a big difference for for the Brewers starting rotation. I, the starting rotation, the biggest issue there is. <laughs> It's a giant shrug emoji at the moment. Like it's just who knows? The whole There's rotation? Talent. I think so. Absolutely. I mean, on balance, yeah. I think I think if you're looking at the whole rotation, uh, we don't really know what Chase Anderson is. Uh, I think Chase Anderson could be anywhere from a, a three ERA guy to a 4.2 ERA guy, depending on how he's able to come out of the gates and how his curveball looks and how his velocity looks. I think Chassin, nobody really knows what to expect because he's not going to be pitching in, you know, in San Diego where he had so much success last year. Well, and he had crazy splits last season. He did have crazy splits last year. That and was, he's got 
he that, also has limitations in terms of his repertoire to to handle both righties and lefties. And he's also a weird one since he pitched a lot in like Colorado. Yeah. I yeah. mean, so it, it's it's hard to say. He goes from Colorado to San Diego. You really don't know what he is at this point. No. Yeah. It's all very yeah. bizarre. And then I think that Davies is probably the guy that has the most certainty in terms of he's probably any. I mean, I like him a little bit more than most, but I think conservatively he's three seven to a four ERA guy. And then we don't really know what to expect from Woodruff. We don't really know what to expect from Suter. Guerra, we've seen everything from him being stellar to being unplayable. We've seen so many question marks. But the 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 problem with projecting the Brewers rotation as bad is that every single one of those guys has a pathway into actually being either competent or being actually quite good. And that's why somebody like an Alex Cobb, who has the exact same question marks, isn't really adding anything to the rotation. Cobb Whoa. could be a guy who's a, you know, a mid three ERA guy, or he could be the guy we saw a couple of years ago where he's borderline unplayable. And and the Cobb that I think was a little bit more of a, a Sabre favorite is two, three seasons ago. I mean, when he had... Well, it was uh, prior Tommy John surgery. Yeah, it, when he had more of a crazy strikeout-to-walk ratio and everything like that. He hasn't yeah. been that for a couple seasons. No, his, no his, swinging his, strike, his swinging strike uh, percentage last year was one of the worst in all of baseball. Yeah, so this idea that Alex Cobb was the guy that would come in and like solve all the rotation issues, th there was a reason why he was the fourth guy of that, you know, the four big free agent pitchers. Yeah. The reason he, there was a reason he was a fourth guy signed. Yeah, but Lynn yeah. is the weird one because a one year, $12 million deal. I, I certainly feel like the Brewers could have tried to compete with that and that. It would, have given them, it would have given them additional certainty in the middle of their rotation. This is something that I talked about on Twitter, and it's some, I don't remember if we've talked about it on, on, on the podcast, but Lynn made that decision because the Twins are the guarantee in terms of getting innings. Right, yes. And, and he wanted, well, but the Brewers could have guaranteed him the same sort of innings. They, they're not, they don't have so many into, people. If you get into a situation with Chasina, who you have on a two-year deal, is pitching well, by the time summer comes around, Woodruff proves that he's a guy that you can rely on to be a mid-rotation starter. Davies and Anderson pitch well, and then you've got Jimmy Nelson coming back. If you have the Lance Lynn that pitched last year, he's not guaranteed to be pitching past the summer. It would I take an could. awful lot for that to happen, though. But he's just it saying it's it possible. Would. It is possible. And if you're in the Twins, what is going to happen to knock you out of that? Phil Hughes is going to come back and be great. Like, <laughs> I don't, they're going to resurrect Joba Chamberlain because they're going to collect all not, that old, yeah, those old Yankees about, pitchers. It's not about whether or not it was likely. It's about picking the the option that allows you to compete, which the Twins have the 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 capacity of competing. Right. They definitely and can. being able to make sure that you're in a position to go out and try to attack the market again next year without having the, the draft pick compensation. And so I'm saying it's not always just about whether or not the brewers wanted to do something. Lance no, Lynn is out fair. there making decisions. If, if you're on two, two, uh, you know, two offers of one year, $12 million or, whether the Brewers go out and offer 13 million or whatever it is, I think it's absolutely justifiable that Lance Lynn decides to go and pitch for, for Minnesota. But did the Brewers even pursue it? 
I because don't know why that's the, a really interesting. Why is that important question? What, also, what does I mean, what does did the Brewers pursue it mean? Are like you saying how they made, far did they how far did they push? Are you saying they were actively are were they actively negotiating or were they just kind of checking in with Linda? They don't seem to have been at the end. They could say they did check in with him. We know that there were reports that the Brewers checked in with Lynn at some point in the off season, but how far they pushed it at that end point when? So what do you want to know? How engaged were they? And like, did what's they decide? The, what's did, the appropriate level of engagement for you? I guess that's what, what I want to know is if they had the option to give Lance Lynn one year and $14 million, would they have done it? Or would they have said, no, we like what we've got? Well, that would a, be, it I doesn't really matter any, at this point. And yeah. And I think that if you're also looking at right now in the way that we just described the, the Brewers rotation and how big the variance is and how every single one of the pitchers they have actually has an ability to be a legitimate big league starter. Lance Lynn last year had a four, eight, two fit. He did. He was, not, he could not control the strike zone and he gave up a ton of strikeout or a, a ton of uh, uh, homers, right? His ground ball rate was kind of where it was in terms of, and he is certainly not somebody who's been the picture of health. I think well, that I mean, pretty... he's been pretty durable, except he just for had the Tommy John. T- Hold on, <laughs> except for the Tommy John surgery, he's been pretty durable. Look Ryan at, believes that's, except that's exactly what we just leveled against Alex Cobb. Yeah, Ryan believes that except for every injury, every guy's healthy. Well, no, except for one injury, he was pretty healthy. Well, except for one thing, there's there's no guarantee that all. It's not like this thing. Of once you have Tommy John surgery, you come back and everything is great. It's no. a major surgery. It's a major and... surgery for a guy who's over thirty. Yes. That's not That's nothing. Fine. I'm again, so I'm not I'm hold, not on, super hold on, bad, hold on, hold on. I'm this, not is super not, bad about this is this not guys. the Lance, not this is not the no, Lance Lynn podcast. To, so. No, it's not. No, you want to know if like hypothetically, because of a thought experiment, whether or not they were actually engaged or not, because it says something about how committed they are to their rotation. Could they have could they have no, been because I want to know how much they think of their current guys. But you're assuming That's that one million more or whatever would have gotten Lance Lynn. That's not the case. maybe it could have, but unlikely. I and then you would have gotten into a bidding war with the twins, maybe. Who knows? You could have gotten into a bidding war with the twins. Yes. I think so. I think for the rotation, this is the biggest place in which they have the potential to, as I said last week or two weeks ago, I don't remember. Um, they could they could not be good. And they could also be good. But <laughs> it is, yeah, it is funny like that. And that's why if that's why I've said for the longest time what the Brewers needed was a high-end replacement. There is no point in adding more pitchers that could potentially be bad or could potentially be good. That's why There's I no said point a, in it. At the very beginning, I said there's huge error bars on it. We just don't know. I mean, yes. Right. Well, but also even, even going all the way up to Arietta, there was no guarantee that you were getting a great pitcher. Right. No. Which is why, like, even... I don't remember when it was, but like whether it was November or whether it was all the way back in the trade deadline, I was like, it's it's the level of Chris Archer or you Darvish or or it doesn't it's not it. It might not even be worth it because once they added Chassin, that was true because they did really have a need to just get innings until they added Chassin. Okay, so I want to keep going on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, we can debate what they should. Yeah, we can keep going over and over what they were should have done with the pitching rotation. And again, there weren't, unless they had a ton of money, 
to spend, they weren't going to find that perfect solution for the rotation. Darvish right. was as close as it came, and even he had question marks. So, um, okay, so I want to go through first who we think is going to regress, regress this season, um, both as a hitter and as a pitcher. So we were just talking about pitching. So, you know, obviously we had Anderson breakout. We had Davies was pretty consistent last year. Um, you know, we had some bullpen bullpen performances from Knebel, from Hader. Um, who do we expect to regress a little bit this season? Who who raised the bar, but maybe went a little bit over what we can like legitimately expect going into twenty eighteen? The smart money is probably on Corey Knebel because closers are just that way. And when you have a guy who has a great season like he had, for it to bounce back the other direction. And there are some definite indicators that it could. Well, what's regression then for him? You know, I mean, when I mean, you're he, not where talking about end in an ERA last year. But you're not talking about, about Derek Turnbow. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about where he's terrible. I'm talking about where there's, you know, he has some games where he legitimately gets hit around a bit and gives up some runs. And we're talking more of an ERA, you know, in the twos, and maybe the mid to high twos, as opposed to. You know, where did he end last year in the mid ones? I don't have it in front of me right yeah. now. But I I mean, could he be a, a closer in the, the threes somewhere? In 2017, or sorry, 2018. Wow. Yeah. Um, in 2018, that's harder to imagine. Um, though, then again, teams are de-emphasizing it, the closer versus... I mean, again... It also if, depends on how that three, like how that three ERA would be make, made up. Is it like three or four complete blowups or is it consistently giving up one or two, you know, one so, or two runs over the course of two months? It is fun, but you know so what? Last either, year, hold on, hold on. Last either year he had a 1.78 ERA. Okay. And we're talking, he had a FIP of 2.53. So yeah, something more in line with his FIP, maybe even a little bit higher. So like a 2.2.75 or something. So like add a, a run to his ERA, something like that would not surprise me. And I think we should probably sort of be ready for it. So as a possibility. A, a few more blown saves, but still a perfectly serviceable closer. Oh, yeah. I think that's, yes. I think I'm that's saying, accurate, yeah. too. Yeah. Um, well, JP, who, who's your guy that you think we should probably limit our expectations for uh, after last season? It, it's not going to be anything otherworldly, but and it's not me suggesting that he's going to be unplayable, but I think Chase Anderson is, is I mean, he's probably just not going to be a 2-8 ERA guy. I think if he's somewhere between three five and three seven, he is exactly what you'd want him to be. Um, yeah. What do you think of Chase Anderson if he's like a three seven guy, but he can give you closer to two hundred innings? I think that's great. I think that I that's what the Brewers need going forward, right? They need innings and they need quality innings in the middle of the rotation, and then it's going to be about somebody, finding the high end guy, which is what they've been looking for, and what's what Jimmy Nelson was at times last year. It's what we're calling for in terms of you know we you know, keep saying kind of guy. we keep saying that's what Jimmy Nelson was, but I think sometimes we undersell what say, Anderson I, was last season. No, I know that, but I'm and saying, no, like, and I'm not criticizing you for your choice. Obviously, no. the guy who had the sub three ERA and was a four plus ERA guy before that, you know, you'd have to think there's some regression built in there. Right. But I'm saying that, and I know that Jimmy Nelson also had his rough patches, but I'm saying Jimmy Nelson four stretches was dynamite. And well, and Jimmy Nelson has the stuff. Yeah. And that's, that's really what the difference is. And for me, if Chase Anderson is able to, to have the curveball that he had last year, if his velocity increase is sustainable, then I could absolutely see him being a low three ERA guy. 
But that's a lot of question marks because as with most things, we just haven't seen it for long enough that we feel comfortable projecting it from year to year. Um, okay, so we had our, our breakout pitcher. Uh, who's our breakout offensive player? We JP, talk I'm about breakout pitcher. Or I'm sorry, our re- regression. Yes. Our pitcher regression. Uh, JP, who's our uh, regression for uh, offensive player this year? I will. I'll stay consistent and just say that I, I still think it's Domingo Santana. Um, yeah. And that that's a question of whether or not it's hard because if he's not going to get consistent at bats, that's that's a question. Um, but I think just kind of all the indicators that I was concerned about over the course of the offseason in terms of trying to explain why I thought he was somebody that could be traded, which again, and I've said it again, I, like there's nuance here and that just because you're expecting re- regression from somebody like Domingo Santana doesn't mean that I think he's not going to be able to have a big league job. I just think instead of being a three to four win player, he's more of a, you know, one and a half to two win player, um, yeah, which is I somebody mean, like was... Chris Davis, which is a useful player to have, but just not anybody that like, you know, teams are going to go out and give a number young number two starter like Danny Salazar that everybody wants to go get. Yeah, I mean, he's a low contact guy, so there's a lot of variability as far as what he yeah. can do. So, Ryan, who's your regression on offense? Santana. It Yeah, it's boring and it's the same, but yeah, it's Santana. Because I you could make a case for Travis Shaw in terms of perhaps the, the overall numbers not being there, but we talked about it a little bit last week. We still expect the power to be there, and that sort of gives him a a floor that's a little bit higher. I just don't know with, with the, the contact that Santana doesn't make when things look a little bit bad for him, when he has a downtrend as opposed to last year where everything seemed to kind of go well for him when he has a bad run, it's going to look ugly because yeah, you just low, don't make enough contact. A low BABIP year with limited at bats could be tough. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if you're and looking at look a guy really who's bad 30 with poor defense in the corner outfield, that puts a lot of pressure on for you to maximize your homer output because that's that's not a great combination to be somebody who's going to be a three or four win player, obviously. But I think in order to be a little bit different, uh, I can also suggest that somebody we mentioned earlier, Manny Pena, is probably due for some regression as well. Um, he's somebody who had a four, 340 Babip last year, hit 280. Um, I think the power is fine. I mean, that's kind of what he's done throughout his minor league career and even in a short major league career. But um uh, I mean, if you look back at his minors, he's almost, I think, one, two times in in his minor league career has had a BABIP over 300, much less 340. Um, Yeah, you talked about some slow catchers, you know. It's it's hard to maintain those high BABIPs, you know. They're not going to beat out a lot of balls and stuff like that. So Um, who is, Ryan, who's your offensive breakout player this season? So... (laughs) I guess it's more of a rebound, but I'm I'm gonna pick Jonathan Viar. I think he is going to vastly outdo what he did last year. I think you're gonna see him much more in line with what he did in 2016, and I think that that's you know an important cog for this team offensively. So you think Viar is going to firmly take that job away from Sogard? It's not gonna be a timeshare because if he's doing that, he's gonna get the majority of the playing. He's time. gonna get a majority of the playing time. I mean, Craig Council is still gonna shuffle guys through because that's what Craig Council does. But I think it's going to be if he does anywhere close to what he did in 16, there's not gonna be a lot of shuffling. Yeah, there'll still be some shuffling because that's what Craig Council I mean, other does. Other than other than just like you know, keep a guy fresh, but you're not going. <laughs> Jonathan VR is getting over 600 plate appearances if he's as good as he was in 2016. 
Right. Well, especially if he does that from the beginning. If he doesn't get off to a slow start or something, I mean, that could play into it as well. But So, J- JP, who do you, who do you see uh, breaking out this season on offense? Yeah, it's it's tough because they I mean, they don't have really options. they don't I mean, kind of. Right. I mean, like or it, it de- or am I reading too much into Orlando Arcia as an option? But between but he hit 270, like almost 280 last year with 15 homers. I mean, what would a breakout for him look like? 25 homers. Uh, yeah, you're a little like you're a little crazy on Arcia home runs. But it's it's the, it's the question, right? Like it's it's what does it take for like what does it take for Travis Shaw to be a breakout? Is it sustain what he did last year or does he have to take a step forward? He would have um, to take a step I, forward if you want to say right. a breakout in right. last season. Which is why, like, I don't, you know, Yelich isn't going to be a breakout guy because he's got so much success. Do you Can't, really not Can't. think Yelich could be a breakout guy? How much more can you break out from being a five-win player? I mean, do you think Yelich could basically add some power to his game? I do. I mean, sure. I mean, sure, but I mean, because you, I know. I mean, I think. Okay, I'm bringing this like up. Thirty homers. I'm bringing this up only because I. Wait, 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 hold wait, on, hold on, hold on. I'm telling JP people just said he's not going to hit thirty homers. I think he could hit thirty homers. Okay, but I'm telling I'm telling people that I play homers. fantasy baseball with that basically I message JP if I have any questions, and you have <laughs> been on board with Yelich for a while. Like I've made deals to get Yelich in the past. I love Yelich. Yes, because you're a big Yelich guy. Do you think he could be basically a batting title guy? You know, he could hit 330 in a season and Yeah, but wasn't what did he hit last year? He wasn't 282. Have been two, 282. Well, all right. So then I, I and guess again, if it's 282, but, but say, he had but like a 370 on base. Yep. Yeah, 282, 369, 439. I mean, so he could he be could he be a 300 plus 300 400 500 guy? I mean, well, I I don't necessarily he's, know if he'd be a 500 guy, but I mean, he's, I guess he's changing he's 483 over the course. Of, he's slugged 383 over the course of a season. So sure. But I guess if, if we're saying like, and I'm not trying hit, to talk you into Yelich, I'm sorry, no, if, but I'm <laughs> saying if he hits 310 with 20 homers, is that a breakout? Yeah. I think my that's second just choice. Kind of, I think that's just kind of, if, if that's, that's paired, just, that's just variants of what he's been doing now. Hold on. If that's paired with a 400 plus on base percentage, which Yelich, if he's hitting 300, it's, it's totally reasonable. If Yelich gets to 300 on base, or sorry, if he gets to 300, uh, if he gets to a 300 batting average, there's a very real chance. If he hits like he did in, in 2016, you're looking at a 300, 400, 500 guy. And that's. I mean, he hit, he hit 298, 376, 483 in Miami two yep. years ago. Is that really a breakout if he's hitting 310, if he's 300, 400, 500, if he's basically already done it? Could he hit... That's three, true. Could he hit 340 or 330, 430, you know, five something? I, I mean, I maybe. I'm not going to project that. <laughs> like, that's, only, that's kind of... That's unreasonable. I'm pushing you into this a little bit because I know you've said he's, he's a batting title kind of guy in the past. Yeah, I, I love him. I mean, I've been high. That's why I was so excited when they got him. But no, I don't. I don't think he's going to be the next Mike Trout. No, it's it's hard <laughs> to say a guy. Well, no, hold on. That's Mike, Ronald Acuna. Mike, Come on. Yeah, Acuna. Um, well, Mike Trout, you know, considering that he on bases, is he close to? He's going to have a 500 season here, isn't he? For on base. Trout? No, he's not quite you don't that think so? high. I mean, no, he's not Joey Votto. No, well... 
Yeah, between Votto and Trey, if you could combine, five hundred is really hard. we will not. Like, we, there's okay. like two guys who've ever done that. It's we, like, we shouldn't combine Votto and Trout like into one player because that would be insane. It's Babe, it's Williams, and it's uh, okay. So before we Bonds, okay, yeah. so like, well, we go down guys. this rabbit hole. Uh, well, Ryan's looking that stuff up. Uh, JP, who's, I mean, Mike Trout's highest on base in a season is like four thirty two. Oh God, or no, so four forty two, four forty two. Come on, guy, take a walk. <laughs> I have you have been long on the Mike Trump just isn't very good bandwagon. <laughs> he just underperforms. You know, I think there's so much more that they could tap. Um, so JP, who's your uh, pitching breakout this season? Well, I guess if I had, but in order to actually answer the question about the offensive breakout guy, if I have to give one, I'll say Orlando Arcia. Um, I, I. But I don't think that's going to be a major breakout. I think he could just maybe hit 285. I was accepting just running around all those guys. You didn't have Uh, to actually hit somebody. And not actually make (laughs) me give an answer. No, I appreciate that. Um, But in terms of breakout for pitching, um, I'll stick with what what I've said the vast majority of the offseason, and I'll stick with Zach Davies. I think Zach Davies could be 3-4, 3 ERA guy. Yeah, um, that's perfectly reasonable. I'm going to go with Brandon Woodruff. I think Woodruff is going to... What's what's a breakout for Woodruff? Because we haven't gotten a ton, of, a ton of innings from him. No, and I think it's it's him establishing himself as a solid, you know, 3-4 starter. Not necessarily, you know... Hold on, hold on. He is a third or fourth starter, not he's pitching a 3-4 ERA. Yes. Well, no, I mean, mid I'm three, clarifying that. Yeah, mid, yeah, mid, right. hold on. Because if he was, like, if he mid, was a three-four starter, hold on. If he was a three-four starter, I mean, if we're calling Zach Davies a, a, a yeah, three starter, say, he was almost a four talking, ERA. You're talking three seven to four ERA over the course of 180 innings, say. Yeah, I'm. I'm thinking an ERA around three and a half, and a, you know, legitimate innings, so you know, 180 or something. That's a pretty good pitcher. That's a pretty That's good a, pitcher. Yes. That's okay. why he's the breakout. There, that there go. Why I've picked him to break. That's out. okay. You picked him to break out. So we're not going to question like what you think a breakout is. So, um, as far as overall season, uh, Ryan, who do you see as the team, uh, MVP on offense? Oh, hold on a second. We're going to speed this up offense and as a pitcher, who are the team MVPs for each? Yelich and Hader. Okay. You just like the, the ability to swing Hader through, you know, we whatever mean, they need him for? Do you mean like pitcher MVP is in like what the team would say pitcher of the year is or what Ryan would say sure. pitcher of the year No, is? no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. It's pitcher of the year for both. Pitcher of the year. It's MVP for both. Okay. Like, to- well, no, I'm just, I'm just saying because Ryan could make the argument that if Hader has like a two and a half ERA over the course of 90 innings, that he's the pitcher of the year. Regardless, I'm calling them both MVPs. It's stupid that they give pitchers some kind of other name because it's basically the same award only for pitchers. No, I'm just suggesting is it what Ryan thinks the pitcher of the year is or is it what the team thinks the pitcher of the year is? Well, it is Ryan's pick for the team's pitcher of the year. Yes. What I will call the pitcher of the year at the end of the year when we do this. Yeah, so you you have Yelich and Hader as both the the most valuable offensive and uh, pitcher on the team. Yeah, I'll get Yelich and Hader. Okay, JP, who do you have? Uh, I'll say Yelich and Davies. Okay, so we're both for how much we sat and debated what Yelich could be. I think everybody's <laughs> everybody's excited for Christian Yelich because he's a absolutely really, he's a really good really play- good player. You know, yeah. I think we're underrating a bit how good a player Yelich is. 
I, I've been calling him a five-win player. How is that on your rating? No, but I think there's there's just kind of an assumption like this is what Yelich is. He has a good batting average. He has a good on-base percentage. He's not a huge slugger, yeah. but he plays good defense. And it's it's the kind of thing where like you know you break it down. You say he's really good. He's really good. He's really good. He's really good. But you don't say he's great at anything. But when you look at the guy in total. That's a really great player they acquired this offseason. He's, yeah, I was going to say, like, if you're looking at somebody who's got, you know, a near seven hit tool, like not some it. It's somebody like Yellow, somebody who's got the ability to handle the strike zone, somebody who knows what they're doing in terms of being able to hit for average. Uh, Yelich is a quality left fielder. I mean, he's he's very good and he needed to be very good to to justify the package that they gave up for him, too. So he's he's excellent. Okay, the time of truth. Uh, we have the NL Central standings. Uh, JP, we'll start with you since we usually start with Ryan on stuff. Uh, what do you think the NL Central standings are going to be this season? Um, I think it's going to be the Cubs, Cardinals, Brewers, Pirates, Reds. How close is it going to be between the Cardinals and Brewers? I'd be i I wouldn't even be surprised if it ended up being something like run differential or something weird like that. I think they're both pretty much the same. Um, I think both are going to be anywhere between kind of 82 to 86 wins. Okay, so put a win total on the Brewers. Uh, Well, since apparently Ryan got upset that I said 82 or 83, I'll say 83. Oh. Okay, so Ooh. Ryan, it's what's... One, it's one win difference. What the <laughs> hell? Yeah, <laughs> I know. You know, the thing is, I, when I look at... When I look at what's a win total going to be when we go into the season, I always think of it as kind of a, I don't know, five win yeah, kind of buffer yes. on both sides. Yeah, that's, that's kind of reasonable. what it is. Yeah, where you put a number and you say anything five win If there was a five win either side, it's, it's you know, the three, de- three degree guarantee that Bob Lindmeyer used to do at Channel 27 in Madison. <laughs> <laughs> I think he still does that. So if we're wrong, if, we're wrong, if JP's wrong, he's going to send you a, an umbrella at the end of the season. I will not visit. I will not visit your elementary school to talk about meteorology. <laughs> no, no, no interest in meteorology. Did maybe, he do that at your elementary no school too? Because I had Bob Lindmeyer shove up my elementary school to talk about meteorology. No, but they talked about that a lot. Oh, okay. So it's, anyway, it's a good thing we have a lot of listeners in Madison. Yeah. It is Otherwise, the Lindmeyer talk would people would go like, over everybody. What are you talking about? Who's this, this guy? Rating's gold. Yeah. Exactly. By the way, when we're off the air, I have a good Bob Lindmeyer story for you guys. So we'll, <laughs> great. It's we'll an see. off. Is it off the air story? It's great. an off. Oh yeah, because it might be libel. <laughs> so okay. anyway, anyway, so, anyway. Um, NL Central I'm, standings to give us a total win. Yeah. Or win total. Same same thing as Breen. For the order, I think that's really the most sensible order. And but I will say Brewers eighty five wins. So wait, so what do you think the Cardinals are going to be at? Eighty seven, eighty. I mean, it's the same basic thing. The Cardinals are just slightly, I think, ahead of where the Brewers are. You know, eighty six, eighty seven wins. So you're so you're still banking on the Reds being just dreadful. I think at least one more year of that because the pitching still seems super suspect. Can somebody go and save Joey Votto? Seriously, Joey, Joey Votto gets he, to sleep on a giant don't know if he bed of cash. Be. No, I, I think he doesn't want to be either. He doesn't want to be saved. He just no, wants no, to No, I'm be. just saying, I think, he, I think he is comfortable. He's the captain and of the he, Titanic. Well, and if he comes back and by the time that they're actually doing well, 
if he's able to still produce, he'll be, you know, I don't know if they'll say beloved son because, you know, he's kind of got the Joe Maurer treatment where everybody says he doesn't get enough RBI to be like great. Well, yeah, he's got Dude, uh, people oh, in Cincinnati hate Joey Votto. It's Is it so Tom weird. Brenneman? With, no, it's the dad. Who's it's the older uh, one? Marty. Marty Brenneman. Yeah. Marty. They hate Joey Votto. I was. Marty, I saw hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Marty, my God, Marty, do they hate Joey Votto. It's amazing to me. Marty Brenneman has an issue with Joey Votto. And has, he's had a vendetta against him forever. Like, you tune into a random Reds broadcast and he will. Well, I'm saying you have an old time, you know, radio guy basically calling those games. And that clearly, you know, resonates in the Cincinnati market. I mean, that's what it is. So, yeah. anyways, we're not going to sit here and talk about Joey Votto for too long. If the Reds, you know, are <laughs> frustrated with Joey Votto and they want to send him to the Brewers, we will accept him with open arms. Look, I'll dr- I'll drive to Cincy and like take him to Milwaukee. <laughs> exactly. J- JP's like me. halfway there already. So I'll do it. Yeah, he'll he'll go get hey, Joey Votto. We're for that us. much closer to his his homeland. So yeah, this is kind of like you know a little southern tip of Canada. <laughs> we are. We're, we're basically we're southern just, Canada. We're just the tip. So. Uh, anyways, let's start with the uh, playoff picks. We're going to go with the AL first and uh, hold off on the NL. So uh, give us your AL East, uh, AL East, Central, West, and wildcard winners for uh So we talked about, the, about this a little bit before we went on the air, but I do think Boston has the pitching to beat out the Yankees. That's the only division where I really think there's much of a question about who the on-paper best team is. And then Cleveland and Houston. So well, Two wildcards. Oh, we doing the wild cards right away. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the Yankees would be the first wild card. I think they'll be in a race all summer. It's going to be you know classic Boston New York stuff. Um, and then second wild card, I think even with Otani looking human, you know, so far and not looking like necessarily the player they thought they were getting, I still think the amount that the Angels did in the off season to improve around and besides that. And I still think Otani is going to be somewhat good. And he's 23. And he's 23. Give me the Angels as the second wild card. Okay. JP, what do you have for the AL for uh, division winners and then the two wild cards? Uh, I think the Yankees will take the AL East uh, with the Red Sox getting one of the wild cards. I think the Indians will take the the Central with the Twins getting the second wild card. Uh, The Astros will take the West. And so functionally, I think it's going to be the exact same as last year, other than the AL East will just uh, swap spots at the top. Okay, uh, JP, what do you think the NL is going to shake out to? The East, Central, West, and then the two wild cards? Wait, 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 wait. What's your AL, Steve? Oh, yeah, you got you to gotta participate in this one. You got to participate in this one. You've shirked your responsibilities so far, but this one, you got to get in there. I mean, I, yeah, I, I got to say the, the Yankees, the Indians... Astros, uh, I'll go Angels and Boston. Okay, I, it's not controversial. Controversial? No, it's no not. I mean it's again the whole thing that we've been talking about with the off season. Yeah, is that there's not, you know there's it's so, many so teams that are competing. Yeah, it's so top heavy, yeah. especially in the AL. There's a little more variability, I think, in the NL. I think the wild card is more open in the NL. Yeah. I still Pretty think the, divi- the divisions are probably more, yeah. even more shut off in the AL or in the NL, though, because I think every team that's a favorite in their division in the NL is a really heavy favorite. Yeah, it's just that the AL East has two teams that are really good instead of everything else. Yeah, I, I think with both uh, Boston and New York, you know, the AL East basically it's like, yeah, whoever wins the division, the other the other team's going to get the wild card. 
for that one. So it's I, like, it's a, I, it's a do, one, do you want to debate one, over the final wild card? It's a it's a one game play, and who knows? Yeah, right. But I mean, basically, do you want to debate over that final wild card? Is there somebody else besides the Angels? I guess at this point, I picked the Twins. He did pick the Twins, you did. and I think the Twins are a legitimate pick. And I think you could also maybe make a case for the Blue Jays. Yeah, the Blue Jays have the some Blue Jays weird and the pieces. Mariners because the Blue Jays have some really old pieces and they have some really young pieces ready to come up. But they probably won't be up this year much, if at all. But that's why they're kind of a weird pick. I mean, do they get some of those guys? Or are they going to break in early and be Maybe. impacts right away? Maybe. I don't it know. It could be. It could happen. But if you're saying pick them, I you know it's no, kind of I hard wouldn't. to say at this point. So no. okay, uh, who did we start with last time? Ryan, you did the AL yeah. first last time. So JP, how about you do your NL picks? Uh, I think well, the Nationals take take the East. Uh, Cubs take the Central. Dodgers take the West. I think you'll have the Diamondbacks and the Cardinals uh, as the two wild card teams. Ryan, yeah, jump I'm in. The same division winners. I mean, I think that's fairly well established. The Nationals in the East and the the Cubs in the Central and the Dodgers in the West. I think that hey, I I think the the Diamondbacks are due for quite a bit of regression, especially on the pitching side. So I'm going to say. I do think the Cardinals will be the second wild card, but I, well, Cardinals will probably be the first wild card. And I think something weird is going to happen. I'm going to take the Phillies. I think that with three pretty probably crap teams in the AL East, a lot of games against bad teams. And I think the Phillies have improved to the point that they could be a legitimate surprise team. So that's the, the only surprise that I think I'm putting out there. Okay, the Phillies. I, I'm going to go Rockies and Cardinals. I take the I take the Brewers as a wild card pick over the. Phillies. You know, the thing is, I think I've said I think I've said like about eighty. Well, what was the prop bet? Eighty four and a half, and I said under. Yeah. So, I want to say the Brewers. I really do, but I feel like with the prop bet uh, pick, I can't. No, I'm. Just I can't justifiably right. say the Brewers. Wait, didn't both of you guys pick the Brewers to make we, the playoffs, or did none of us? No, pick no, no, no. You no, were we, the only one to pick the over on eighty-five and a half. Oh, oh yeah, hold that's on. Right. You, that's right. You, you, everybody, nobody actually projected the you Brewers hedged. to make the playoffs. You picked over without making the playoffs. Yes, you hedged on yeah, over. Yeah, so I, I hit the very the narrow, that extremely narrow window where they have to be decent, but not enough to make the playoffs. Yeah. I think people will still are still going to be sleeping a little bit on the Rockies. I just have too many question marks about their rotation. Well, um, and they actually and weren't that good offensively last year. I'll be honest. Part of my pick was I was just picking somebody different for that spot. <laughs> no, that's fine. I'm because just saying that I, I think the I think the NL there there are plenty of I think both wild card teams could be up in the air for that. And if you're looking at what the Rockies could do, I mean, if they if they bring Ryan McMahon to come up and be their starting first baseman, and if you're he looking for a team to be. do what they always, you know, if you're looking for a team to pull what you know, say the Orioles do where they have such a stellar bullpen that they're able to outpitch their peripherals. That's exactly what the Rockies have been trying to do all offseason. They've been trying to to build a lockdown bullpen because that that's how they think they're going to be able to, uh, you know, suppress runs. Um, it is true. So I think that's I think it's there. I think I think the Phillies getting like 20 more wins than last season is just a tall task. Uh, their bullpen is not good enough yet. They have too many question marks in the starting rotation. Their offense would have to be otherworldly, I think, in order for them to take a step forward. 
And finally, Ryan, give us your uh, World Series pick here. Who's going to be in the World Series? Who's going to win it? Nationals and Cleveland, and I'm going to go with the Nationals. They've suffered enough. They have dealt with enough BS. Suffered enough? When, I mean, I guess when did they come into existence? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess well, they moved no, from Montreal. Washington. Okay, so that franchise has been cursed, like that actual franchise. But also, like, Washington hasn't won a World Series since 1924. Yeah, 1924. So, like, no. Yes. Well, they had 30 years without a franchise in there, but sure. They had a a chunk of time without a franchise, (laughs) yes. Uh, JP, who do you have for your World Series matchup and winner this season? Uh, I will say the Nationals and the Astros, and I think that the Astros defend. Oh, you have a repeat. Hmm. There haven't been a lot of those. No. I mean, the Astros are the best pa- team on paper coming into the season. So, I mean, but not only for me are they the best team, but they still have the pieces to go out and still meaningfully upgrade in midseason if they want to. They, Forrest Whitley is one of the best uh, arms in the minors, uh, period, that if they need to come in and bring in somebody to be a difference maker in the bullpen, he's somebody that can do that. Um, they Kyle still Tucker. Got, well, they've got Kyle Tucker that could either – I don't think he'd make the big leagues in any meaningful way this year, but I think he could still be somebody they could parlay into something uh, big. But I think the Astros have exactly what – they've got a dynamic offense. They've got depth. They've got uh, they've got studs in the rotation, and they've got uh, still a bullpen that I think is actually underrated. So I, I like them quite a bit. Okay. I'm going to go with the Major League Baseball wet dream and have the Yankees and Dodgers in the World Series. I'm going to have the Dodgers win it this season. Oh man, you don't think you don't think the Cubs and the Yankees would be even better? The Cubs just won. And I think now But for Manfred? Oh man, No, I mean, okay, cuz we're talking about what was it? 89 for the Dodgers? 88. 88 for the Dodgers? Yeah. No, the the Dodgers have enough of a drought now. I think Yankees Dodgers. Come on. Yankees Dodgers has so much history going back to all their matchups in the forties and fifties when they played seemingly every year for the world series. Yeah. They'll try to Koufax. And, and then they, they again in the, in the late seventies too, they matched up the Yankees beat the Dodgers twice in the late seventies for the uh, world series as well. Yeah, They could try to Koufax and I don't know, Reggie Jackson, who else, who's the oldest Yankee legend still alive. I think it's Reggie at this point. Is it kinda, Reggie? It kind of, yeah. Now that, that uh, Yogi has passed away. Yeah. I mean, Really, it's Vin, but I said Yankees legend. I don't think Vin called any Yankees games as a Yankees announcer, so not as a Yankee. No, but he called. He called all the like I've watched the Don Larson. I game. hey, yeah. I was giving JP a hard time because he had the faux pas there, which look, doesn't happen often. Look, I've I've called guys Chris Arietta. <laughs> I have, I, I at least didn't pick my World Series to be the Nationals against the Dodgers. <laughs> yeah, that's going to get edited on the end. So uh, stick awesome. around after the uh, <laughs> after the close God for a little it. bit, of a, a little bit of a, a, a tailgate but, but I extra. If, I think if they had, I think if the it's Cubs, the, it's a fatty Cubs, part of the brat. <laughs> I think if the Cubs came in against the the Yankees, though, the Cubs could amass their entire fan base to be like the aggrieved underdogs again. Man, nobody, like, hold on, nobody cares about the Cubs anymore. Guess what, guys? You won, so that's it. Nobody, yeah, you, nobody cares about you. All you of, take now you're just the evil empire. Every like every novelty, version. every novelty you once have is, had is completely gone. Nobody cares about you anymore. You get a Pearl Jam concert maybe twice a year, and that's about it. 
<laughs> right? Yes. So that's what, okay. That's what they get. They get Pearl Jam concerts. Pearl Jam thing, but yeah, okay. They still get Eddie Vedder out there singing the uh, seventh inning. Yeah, he gets to sing "Go Cubs Go." Great. Eddie Vedder sings the worst song in the world. Congratulations, Cubs. <laughs> so, uh, okay. Uh, hang around right now. We got an interview with uh, Zach Koga from uh, Carbon Four Brewery. Ryan, what else? You, what else? Did I miss something? No, you you already played that. <laughs> you are going to have such a time editing this. No, I was going to take all of this in one cut. Yeah. He was gonna, he was going to he was going to add this to at, to the end of where we pick the actual standings before the interview. But way to interrupt that. Mm-hmm. Somebody doesn't know how editing works. So uh, <laughs> if if this sounds a little janky this week, it's because Ryan kept interrupting. So, anyways, we have an interview with Zach Koga from Carbon Four Brewery. He's going to tell us a little bit about uh, some of the beers that got coming up. Uh, and stuff you can get from their brewery. And it's awesome. Like I said, we're drinking uh, Fantasy Factory Double IPA this week. Yes, we are. And they also have the, uh, what was it, the Martian IPA? Mm-hmm. So that's that's out as well. I think you got to go to the brewery for that one. No, he said that that's... Oh, that's right. That one's in bottles. Yep, they're Dub- bottling it. But it might not be available immediately. Double Fantasy Factory, you have to go to the brewery to get it. Yes. But you can get the Martian IPA package. So uh, look for that. And uh, here's the interview with Zach. Okay, joining us now is Zach Koga. He's one of the owners of Carbon 4 Brewing in Madison. Zach, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Good. I'm good. Yeah, we're thrilled to talk beer. So, yeah. you know, we get questions all the time about beer. We do. Like, yeah. that's one of the big things, you know, people listening like uh, to hear beer about. Beer and baseball. So. I mean, it's it goes together, peanut right? Peanut butter and jelly. Exactly. Exactly. So, hey, now that we have you here, I think the question that everybody wants to know is how do you start a brewery? Oh, boy. Um, well, I think there's a lot of paths to it, like a lot of businesses. I mean, I'm I'm kind of curious too. How do you start a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, for that you just got to be a couple knuckleheads with the microphone yeah. and something to record it on. But a brewery, what well, to start out? Your brother, correct, is the one my, who my brother's the talent. Yeah. So what? Basically, I think we just had to have kind of a dream and 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 come to that realization that everything around you. I mean, it's like the Steve Jobs quote. It's one of my partners, Alex's favorite quote from Steve Jobs, and I'm going to totally paraphrase it and butcher it, but it's just a general idea that once you kind of realize everything around you is, is exists and was made by people no smarter than you, you can kind of change your perspective on what's possible, what you can do. And, um, you know, Alex is a real catalyst. My partner, Alex is and best friend was a real catalyst for that kind of dreaming, um, and thinking about what, what's possible in our lives. And my brother, um, is the beer talent. We always kind of joke, he's the talent, we're the agent. So Alex and I were dreaming about doing something. We always knew something was going to happen in our life. We were going to figure something out, and we were scheming, you know, different ideas, business plans, angles, but always kind of missing um, that that entrenched experience, talent in one specific area. And at the same time, I was um, talking to my brother and, and kind of internal in our family trying to figure out how to get him his own place because he was brewing beer out in Montana working for somebody else definitely had some more potential than, than what he was realizing out there working at a small brew pub and um, everything sort of came together his talent and, and drive and, and me kind of just working with him on the side trying to organize the the plan and the money and the strategy of it found a good location here in Madison I was living in Madison I've been here since 04 
um, saw an opportunity with Ale Asylum expanding, um, knowing that they had leased their space or were leasing their space so we could kind of jump in and, and pick up a lease on, on them leaving. And then um, with, with them upgrading equipment, they had equipment they had to sell. So we could we, we approached them and said, hey, what if what if we just came in and bought you know, some of the key equipment that you're trying to sell and then you could leave it there and we can work on it. We can, you know, fix it up and make it our own and, and make the space our own. And, and that worked for both of us because we, we, I think we probably overpaid a little bit on just like the physical value of the asset or the, the like equipment assets, but because they were there um, installed that they had a lot of value to us, we could move very quickly, you know, so that works for both of us. You know, they can get some decent money for their equipment, not have to do much work to sell it. We got equipment that's in place. It's proven. We got sort of built-in goodwill um, with people knowing that beer exists in this location. So it, it sort of works like a hybrid startup just because you don't have to totally educate people that there's a brewery here. Ale Asylum already put six years into that. I was going to say, you guys have been around for six years, and you're you're kind of on the front of the the brewery boom that's taken place in Madison. I, yeah, I think. Um, there have been yeah, a bunch of places that have popped up. Boom, there, yeah. yeah, there's kind of a bunch of modern uh, breweries. Um, what is it about Madison that made it attractive as a, a place for a brewery? It's just a, it, well, it's the craft market leader in the state. I mean, I, 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 to be honest, I, I think Milwaukee, you know, obviously has bigger potential. There's more people and, and it's, it's coming along on its own now too. But, um, just by volume, I mean, when you see regional brands come in, everybody goes after Madison first because there's a bigger, um, share by kind of volume of the beer drinking demographic going after craft and local and, you have um, a very strong local kind of maker market culture in in Madison that supports that sort of craft beer junkie, and um, we we knew that. I mean, you had a, a great demographic. You have a, a fairly affluent demographic that's going to be going after. Um, we call it kind of an affordable luxury of craft beer, where it's that it's very accessible to people, but but it's still kind of a, is a luxury because it's a higher price product versus the macro beer and. Madison just it's ripe for the for the whole craft beer movement and and really capital and ale asylum new Glarus, even though it's not right in Madison I mean they really blazed the path for that and um, did a lot of work um, before we ever came to exist well Steve and I always used to talk about the fact that there weren't enough craft options in both Madison and Milwaukee as many as you would think there would be given the state's history of beer and all that and yeah, you guys were, like Steve said, kind of on the forefront of bringing that out in the Madison market where we kind of thought there should be more there. Like there wasn't the options that we were looking for and what we thought could be supported in the area. Yeah, there were a couple of mainstays and then it was it's kind of stagnant for a while. I so. totally agree. Yeah. I, and I think there's even I, I, I mean, I think the skews are starting to get a little bit saturated. You go to a bottle shop or a high V or whatever, you know, whatever it is, pick and save festival any store quick trip is starting to have a lot of skews so the skews are starting to saturate but there is still room for a lot more good beer i mean madison and milwaukee yeah so uh fantasy factory ipa is your flagship beer yeah yes. and i guess tell us a little bit about how that became the flag flagship why why an ipa like that is the one that you guys decided to roll with well i you guys decided for us the customer really picked that beer um yeah i mean we our idea was we knew that IPAs were leading craft beer growth all around the country. They still are. They always they always were in kind of the modern um, craft beer explosion. Um, so we knew that an IPA was 
was a big deal, we, and we knew we had a lot of different ones that we wanted to make. So we thought that the better plan might be let's have a, a rotating IPA. So like our main flagship IPA is actually a rotating series throughout the year. That was our first idea. We started with a black IPA called Silk Scorpion and released that on our grand opening night. And then Fantasy Factory was our second seasonal, our second, uh, the like second IPA seasonal in the series. So in the spring of 2013, we brought that out and Ryan just totally hit a home run with that, with that beer. He had come off of, um, the CBC, the craft brewers conference in San Diego, I think maybe a year or two before that, when he was still in Montana, he went out to the conference and, and his big mission was, I'm going to drink every single IPA I can get my hands on out there. And that sounds like a trip Ryan would take. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I did that at uh, the Great Taste of the Midwest once. I went through and found every single IPA I could and was looking for the hoppiest, just m- craziest double IPA I could find. You and I found taste it at your food for a week. <laughs> end of the day, I finally found it and was like, you guys are the best. And yeah, it's so yeah, Ryan had, had gone on the same sort of uh, adventure, I guess, with with his palate. And he came back kind of saying, boy, I just really feel like a lot of these IPs, it's shades of gray. There's just, there's so many things that are so similar. And I feel like people are kind of taking the standard pale ale malt base and just throwing different amounts of hops at it or over hopping it or whatever. And I really want to create this, this IPA that I think should exist in the world. And it's balanced and it it's, it's got this juiciness and this full malt body and, and this blend of hops. And I want to feature this deep citrus, you know, uh, tone from, from the citra hop and, um, and really kind of put together something more comprehensive and, and everybody just loved it. We, we put it out in kegs. It, it blew us up. I mean, up to that point, we were still very young, but okay, great. You're this, you know, shiny new toy or new brewery in a town that wanted a couple more breweries. They're coming to check us out. The, that IPA, the Fantasy Factory IPA really like um, put us on the map very quickly and trying to keep up with production of that, especially when we got it into bottles is what's led our entire company i mean it's 75 percent of our volume roughly yeah as soon as i had it i was in love that it was first time i was like this is one i'm going to get any place i can all the time it it's uh and it's that i think it's the balance we talk about perfectly balanced hop grenades i mean that's that's but first being a malt-centric brewery it's building a beer from the ground up just like a building or anything else good strong foundation of the malt we put a ton of emphasis on the malt of every single beer i think that's something that separates us that we we've invest quite a bit um our base malt is is what we think is the best malt in the world you know and where people use that as a specialty malt in a lot of beers that's our base malt so we put our money where our mouth is on that that we build up from the malt we really invest in that um and and put a lot of time into the other specialty malts and components to balance that out and then match the hops to that and i think that balance is what has helped us appeal to people who may not even usually like ipas because it has balance and it has context that's not over hopped and doesn't kind of bust your palate but it also does have a ton of really awesome stuff in it and a lot of hops and it's all hop head can get into it so it, we're we were just trying to do what we wanted to do but i think the result has been something that can appeal to a very broad range of of kind of craft novices and and people who love ipas and chase them down yeah so you have a double ipa for fantasy factory out right now um what's the difference between a regular ipa and the double ipa because we were joking, and I told Ryan uh, like a week ago, I'm like, it doesn't mean you just get to drink two of them at a time. <laughs> so <laughs> that it's 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 a fun kind of misnomer. People think a double IPA 
is, oh, it's just twice as powerful or it's twice as much. It, it actually comes from, it's an imperial India pale ale. So double I means literally two I's, I-I-P-A. So it, it's not necessarily exactly double, but it is the, the same idea. It's just, it's bigger. It's higher alcohol. It's more hops. We decided this year to do the double fantasy factory um, to just kind of play off of, of that and, and see how big we could make it. And it, it turned out amazing. I, I personally think, and I don't think I'm alone with this at the brewery, that it's the best beer that we've come up with so far. Um, I really like a lot of beers, but I, when I drank it, I just was totally blown away. I mean, it's, it's fantasy factory on total steroids. Um, I can't time. wait to get over there and try oh, it. it. Yeah, I'm and it's, salivating, waiting for it. It's just hits you with everything. It still has that balance, but it's, you know, big 9%, uh, uh, beer and um it, it really for how big it is and how much stuff we did there's still that awesome balance which i think is characteristic of us and and what ryan really does with the with the liquid um i guess you do a lot with the fantasy factory um you have the raspberry ipa that you released against you have the double uh what is it about the fantasy factory that kind of allows you to like play with it in that way um i mean i think because it has such a nice solid foundation um and, and just kind of speaking to that balance thing that it's got that great, it really features that, that golden promise base malt quite a bit. Um, and, and in the balance of, of the hop blend that kind of goes into it, um, it, it works well to play with the scale up to add other things too. But to be honest, what, what it has the most of is that it has people's attention. I mean, people like it and they want more of it. And we, we've really took a hard look at ourselves looking at the 2018 production calendar and said, you know, how can we really add more value to the people that are drinking our beer? Like what, what do they really want? Not, we need to do things that are real and true to ourselves and authentic, but how do we align that better with like, let's give them more of what they want. And and when we played with some fruit variations of fantasy factory in the past in the tap room on like a pilot basis, people loved it. And we're like, well, then we owe that to them. We have to give them more of what they want. And so that was, we pushed ourselves to say, let's, let's do that. Let's, let's do the raspberry fantasy factory, the double fantasy factory. We're going to do a double hop fantasy factory in May as a small batch as well. So it, you could look at it one way where we're kind of whoring out the fantasy factory brand. Cause it's what everybody knows, but really what we're trying to figure out is let's make sure that we're adding value to the people that like our products and like give them different perspectives and views and takes on the things that they really like the most. How can we just give them the most of what they want? Yeah. Um, okay. We got summer coming up. I think everybody's going to get ready for uh, kind of getting in tailgate mode. So uh, what are the seasonal releases you have coming up in the summer that are kind of more of those outdoor beers that I think people are going to like? Um, so we have that Martian Sunrise Red IPA coming out here uh, next week. I guess the 23rd and then in bottle market, uh, like 26th, 27th. Then our next package releases is a Simply Dusty, our Chamomile Saison. That's a really great, you know, light drinking um, beer, but with with tons of flavor and, and fun in it. We go back to a little bigger beer. Our Idiot Farm is another double IPA and Imperial IPA. So tastes kind of like summer and 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 the tropics, but it's a bigger beer. Back to a little bit lighter option. Belly Bongos is our Vine Pale Ale, really nice light beer, um, kind of a white wine harvest time kind of chardonnay sort of beer um so it, it's uh I'm, I'm excited to see that out in the middle of the summer um 
and then and then the, so that's in kind of our larger format seasonals, um, but then in the the small batch keg series, which you'll see kind of scattered around the state, but then definitely in the tap room is we'll do a stra- strawberry fantasy factory. Um, that'll be we've done that in a pilot last year. We're going to scale that up in July. Um, we're doing an imperial hefeweizen, um, like banana pancakes kind of playoff mm-hmm. of a beer. Um, hmm. So imperial hefeweizen with banana and some other stuff going on. Um, the double hopped fantasy factory. So those are all kind of leading into summer. We're doing some really fun, um, sort of high gravity and low gravity beers, but, but flavor profiles that really work as the weather warms up. Yeah. Saison's tend to be more popular now. I think within the last, I don't know, five, are, yeah. five, 10 years, I want to say they've, mm-hmm. they've gotten, I think more popular. What is it about a Saison? Cause that's a little bit more of a, a mix of grains. It, well, it comes, um, the yeast in particular is, is unique there in my understanding. And I hope I don't, totally screw this up because ryan's really the the guy that that knows the most about this but i think in particular the saison yeast is what helps define that um and then you know a malt bill to match and, and hot profile to match um i think what people like about it is that uh two things one is that it's it's a little bit can be a little bit lighter easier like approachable beer as far as body and kind of weight and i think that people are looking for some light options that aren't kind of your standard macro, like Bud Light, whatever. Coors I was going to say, it's not necessarily a light beer. Yeah, it's not, it, and it isn't. It just kind of got that easier flavor profile, depending on, you know, who's doing it. It can be a little bit crazier and spicier, um, but it does have that that more approachable, light feel to it, even though it's not necessarily low alcohol. Um, Spotted Cow is kind of in that farmhouse ale, you know, category. Mm-hmm. I think a more... You know, our version of that sort of Saison farmhouse ale is going to be a little bit bigger than that. But it's sort of an option there. People people are a little fatigued sometimes with, with everybody going bigger and bigger in craft and more hops and more alcohol. And we're definitely seeing some more interest in those more approachable beers. Saison's kind of a fun option there that you can go a little bit lighter or not. And um, can add a little tartness to it, too. It can, yeah. Yeah. It, and it plays really well with tea with us doing the chamomile mm-hmm. tea with it. And that actually came from Alex's fiance, Teal. She she sort of invented that beer with our head brewer as a pilot project for um, like a specialty keg at Four Quarter in Madison here. Really kind of dreamed up some some wonderful flavors that, that went together great. And we were like, wow, we need to scale that up. That was really good. Awesome. And then you guys have uh, Fantasy Factory coming out in cans. Uh, we do that's one of the most exciting things i think for us this year is that we've decided to um find a way to get cans a little sooner than we were going to um so i think big news for hopefully for for the tailgating at at miller park and and boating and camping and um and well if we could get a 16 ounce can we could try to go after lambo a little bit but (laughs) uh i'm just excited to see we we have some renderings of of the can design that we're playing with and it's just really exciting to see the brand on a can and we're working on it It, we have to set up an alternating proprietorship to have somebody pack it for us so we're still going to brew it and then just get it canned at another facility And, and so we have to set up some some licensing and legal stuff and that takes a little while and and we're in the middle of that right now so i don't have a date but it's coming this year after recording a couple weeks ago steve and i were talking about it and going through all the different places in in the state that canned the different micros and that canned and we brought up you guys and said wonder how close they are to doing it and then literally two it was days like within later, a week yeah it was within that week we were, we were wondering so, oh, yeah, and then they're gonna be canning so we were excited about that because it definitely 
there's a an element of portability to it that makes it, you know, a little bit easier that way. So and they're, they're like mini kegs. Yes, <laughs> they're mini kegs. Yeah. Right. It's, when you it, can smash up the evidence, right? Exactly. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, there was always the kind of like, oh, you just get cheap beers and cans. And I think a lot of the craft breweries are showing just pour it out of the can yeah. into a into a glass and then it's going to take you're not going to have that same like kind of canned uh, you know, and thing I, to it. I get that because people you know you, you have that value perception of glass um out of a bottle and and there's there's a long history of of the technology of cans and what's made it kind of more ready to handle craft beer and um the amount of hops and things that are in the beer that can can go after the lining of the can so the technology's helped make them handle it but at the same time like the the whole be scared of a can just because it's a can and i don't want to feel cheap or whatever it is i mean i i think our we we really encourage everyone not to overthink it like just enjoy it like just like it if it's good you know like who cares if it's in a bottle or if you pour it in a solo cup i mean i'm probably going to drive a purist crazy here but like (laughs) you know the beer is just the conduit to life like it's the the, it's the excuse to talk it's the excuse to get together excuse to enjoy each other it's not actually the main event it it's just a conduit and i think we we try to emphasize that that if our entire lives are depending on this and that we really you know we're putting all this work into the beer being as good as it can and um, if if we have the the freedom to say, don't take it too seriously. I think anybody else that's enjoying it on like the consumer basis should do the same. Like, let, focus on the people you're with when you're drinking more than what what format the beer is being drunk out of. Exactly. So, hey, uh, Zach, thanks for joining us today. Uh, it was awesome to have you, and we're going to try to have you back sometime and talk beer again. Okay. Yeah. Thank you guys very much for having me. So, everybody, head over to uh, Kinsman Boulevard. That's where Carbon Four is located. Um, otherwise, look forward in a retailer near you. That's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, JP, do you want to give a thanks to our Patreon supporters? Yep. The, our fantastic three this week. We've got Jason Don- Dondlinger. Excuse me, JD. Uh, Darren Jones and Michael Tracy. I was going to say, how, how can you mess up Jason's name? <laughs> we talk to him on Twitter all the time, right? I know because and he's the one who hasn't been drinking carbon because or I can't beer. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm just a moron. I can't talk. It's not a big deal. Um, but no, thanks. Thanks to everybody for supporting us via Patreon. Thanks to everybody who wants to get involved with the the Minor League Extra podcast. Uh, it's something that Ryan and I obviously really enjoy doing because we talk minor league and, and I listen to it. While while you work out way before everybody else is up and moving, yes, yeah. yeah. Thank you for bringing that up again. Yes, you want and I listen to it. Yeah, you on the treadmill at six thirty in the morning. Absolutely, that was worth adding. Um, so, but no, thanks to everybody again for being Patreon supporters. Uh, we appreciate it. Keep sending in your questions. I know this week got a little bit long, so we didn't have an opportunity to get. Yeah, to we didn't do any questions, questions this week. So, um, but that means we owe we owe y'all as it keeps going. Uh, and then for the, the minor league podcast, we're going to get as many as we can in. So thanks again. We appreciate it. Um, yeah, that's definitely the way. Hit Ryan with questions if you want him on the minor league podcast, since he's the guy yeah. that's got to compile all those. Put them on Patreon. It's That's the easiest way to do it. Since exactly. you're all on there anyway. So, so uh, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash tailgate. Patrons at the ball and glove level will receive that monthly minor league extra podcast. And as always, follow us on Twitter at tailgate. You can also submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. 
And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and in the Google Play Store. And you can also leave reviews and help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening, and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. And finally, Ryan, let's uh, hear your World Series matchup and winner this season. I would really like it to be the Nationals and the Dodgers, so that's what I'm going to go with. I think both are... both in the NL, bud. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Do you want to start that one over? (laughs) Yeah, let's do that again. (laughs) Nationals and Dodgers. Oh my God! Woo! <laughs> We'd have just gone with it. Sure, whatever, whatever fucking team you want. Sure. Nationals and Dodgers. That's exactly what it's gonna be. That's now what the that's now what the All Star Game <laughs> decides. So whether or not it can be two AL or two NL teams. Hey, you know what? We had the Astros and Dodgers last season, so I'll allow it. <laughs> that just seemed unnatural. So sure, did, whatever. That did seem unnatural. Anything you fucking want goes at this point. <laughs> You know what? It's actually the two teams that depress salaries the most. Two lowest payrolls. Get the hell in there. Marlins and A's. Let's do it. All right. Should it, can I try this again? Okay. Hold on.